Hello, hope you're well. It's Guy here and welcome to the Creative Forces podcast. At this episode, I speak to Dave Fishwick, self-made millionaire and the star of Channel 4's Bank of Dave. Dave grew up in Nelson in Lancashire and he left school at 16 with no qualifications. And after starting out selling cars, uh, he's now his company has grown into the biggest supplier of new and used minibuses in the UK. Now also, he's a very familiar face on TV alongside his business career. He's built that up too. And that started when he uh, started uh, the Burnley Savings and Loans back in 2011. That became the subject of the Channel 4 series, Bank of Dave. Uh, since then, he's gone on to star in two more series for Channel 4, How to Get Rich Quick and The Shopper's Guide to Saving Money. Now, In this really interesting interview, Dave talks in detail about how he started his business, how he started uh, Burnley Savings and Loans. He talks about why he's determined to get a license so that Burnley Savings and Loans can become a fully regulated high street bank. He also tells me about his four rules for starting out in business. Dave, welcome. Thank you for talking to me. Very good morning. I want to start by asking you, you're currently in the process of applying for two and a half million pounds of funding for Burnley Savings and Loans. So just tell me where you're up to with that. What we're doing is we're looking for between two and a half and seven million pound of funding. Now, one of the campaign promises right at the beginning when I started this seven years ago was I would give the public very first crack at this. I didn't want to go to the city and say, I want to raise millions. What I wanted to do is I wanted to allow members of the public to own a little piece of the Bank of Dave. Hmm. Now, I cannot tell you how difficult that is, Guy. <laughs> it's almost impossible. <laughs> there is certain platforms out there that are geared up to this, but it takes forever. But I did promise that the public could have first crack at this. Now, if they want 50 grand's worth, if they want 100 grand's worth, if they want 100 pounds worth, or combined, if the public only want 50 grand, 100 grand, 200 grand, whatever. Whatever the public want, I'm happy. Because I've, I've come good on my promise of giving them first crack at this. Mm. But ultimately, you know, I will put the two and a half million in if or when that is needed. Okay. So far, I've put two million of my own money in. We've lent to approximately over 3,000 loans. We've probably got at any one time over one and a half thousand live loans. We've lent around 20 million so far hmm. to thousands of people and businesses across the UK and we do what it says on the tin. Is your ideal scenario then that it's you know thousands of small investors have 50, 100 pound stakes each in your in Burnley Savings and Loans? Do you know what Guy? I truthfully don't mind. If there is one, a hundred, a thousand, hmm. I truthfully don't mind. But what you should do in life is you always should do what you set out to do. And hmm. you should always come good on your promise. Hmm. If you say you're going to give the public first crack at this, then that's what you should do. Okay. If the public want a little bit or a lot of it, that's brilliant. <laughs> if if they want to take part by just sending me the name and saying we support you, Dave, to me, that's equally as good. Because one way or another, I'll get this thing across the line. Because as I have done in the past, I've funded it myself. And I will continue to do that, and I will use money from the city if needed. But one way or another, we'll mm. get it across the line. This is just adhering to a promise that I, I said see. I would. Do. So the investment's happening anyway. Yes, you're giving them an op people an yes. opportunity to do. That's it. very important. Yeah, yeah, that we. Okay, now for anyone like me who watched the original Bank of Dave uh, program. Um, they'll be interested to know where you're up to in terms of applying for the license, because that was a big part of it, wasn't it? And that's an ongoing process, isn't it? You're applying for the license to be a bank, effectively. Yes. How's that going? Just before we go there, Guy, let me just make one more point about the raise. Hmm. I got a letter here in on the 14th of July, 2012. Dear Dave, <laughs> I am a Stony Brook pensioner who could not borrow money from anyone, but I can find £10 to put in your tiny bank and I'm happy to leave it there until such time as you succeed. If everyone who believes in you deposited a tenner, then little acorns would grow into giant oak trees. I wish you all the very best of luck with your venture, and I know my £10 is safe as houses with you. Very best wishes, Sheridan. Hmm. 
that's why I do what I do. Hmm. That's why I adhere to the promises that I made. If Sheridan wants to invest her £10 in this scheme, in this fundraise, fantastic. If she just wants to send me a letter like that, that's equally as good. Because <laughs> one way or another, we'll get this thing across the line. And in terms of the application then for the, the licence, what's the, the state of play now? Right. So we've been going at this for seven years. And the rules have changed enormously. The regulations have changed enormously. We are fully authorised and fully regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority hmm. as an authorised lender. And I can't tell you how difficult that is. <laughs> that is very, very difficult to get. And we've got that. So we and all our lending products are fully authorised and fully regulated. So once you've got that side of things out of the way, then you need a licence to take deposits. Originally, we was using a peer-to-peer -peer system, but then the regulations changed on that, and it was deemed necessarily by the new regulations for you to put risk into the peer-to-peer -peer system. So basically, you would to give granny or put some risk into granny's investment, her peer-to-peer -peer investment. Hmm. She had to carry the risk, where in the past, I've always guaranteed there is no risk. And I wouldn't sleep at night putting hmm. a pound's worth of risk in anybody's money. Hmm. So then I stopped the peer-to-peer -peer system due to the change of regulations, and then I went down the path of becoming a fully authorised and fully regulated bank. Now, we got very serious about this about two and a half years ago. We then started to look into this in a big way. I've got a phenomenal CEO called Jim Bradley, and I'm going to talk about him a little bit today. Hmm. I'm also going to talk about the chairman today, because nobody actually knows who the chairman is. Okay. But I'm going to talk about him today for you. Okay. So, the CEO is James Bradley. Now, James has been in charge of some of the biggest banks in the world. Um, he works for the federal government in America and he fixes banks for governments around the world. Recently, he fixed the Bank of Ireland when that went wrong. Um, he worked for the British government on that bank with my chairman, a guy called Mike Ainsley. Mm. So Mike Ainsley works for governments around the world, fixing banks. What was very, very important to me that we end up with a team of people who are enormously experienced but were part of the solution and not part of the problem. Hmm. And my guys and ladies are definitely part of the solution. They fix banks when they go wrong. And they genuinely are really, really across what we do. Um, they've got decades of experience, um, as of the rest of my team. I mean, I'll give you another one or two of them as well. Let's talk about a few of them today because that's <laughs> important. So Andrew Davis, he's amazing. Andrew Davis's previous job was to lend £120 million a month. And he semi-retired from the financial industry. Mm. Um, and we met, and I thought he has got the right ethos, the right ethics, the right, the right morals. He's a fantastic guy. And I asked him to team up with us, and he said yes. Mm. Carol Rowe, she's head of my compliance She's been in charge of multi-billion pound operations and been head of their compliance department with a lovely lady called Wendy. And Wendy and Carol now work with me. And then onto the board, uh, we've got some wonderful people there as well. But I need to give the CFO a mention because Greg, Greg Dermott, he was very high up in the Bank of Australia and, and the Bank of New Zealand and so many huge, huge banks. He's been in charge of billions and billions of pounds of the public's money. Hmm. And he's the chief financial officer of the Bank of Dave. Okay, so you've got a serious team in he's, place. He is, and I could go on and on and on. I mean, we've got David H., we've, got, we've, we've just got some hmm. fantastic people working with us um, who are making a big difference. My head of operations, Katie Drinkwater, you know, she was in charge of 365 people in her previous role. She's in charge of 20 Hmm. at my place hmm. but she's there because she wants to be there so these people are and that's just a, a very small they, they believe in what you're they doing by the sounds of it in yeah. what we're doing the, hmm. the, the people on the board 
And maybe next time you come and we do an interview next time, Guy, I'll start to go into the board as well because mm. the board will completely blow your mind. Mm. People on the board, one in particular is in charge of nine, a £90 billion pound operation currently. And he's, you know, a very, very, very respected member. Mm. Um, previously, he was um, very high up in the regulators. And we have got some serious, serious firepower. Mm. And I've never spoke about it before. This is the very first time I've spoke about this because it's time now when I start to say, this is what I've been doing for the last few years. This team is what I've been putting together mm. and this will blow your mind. Well, we'll look forward to the next um, the next chapter. Just to rewind before we... And we'll talk about that in the next interview. As you mentioned, I'd like to do that. That'd be great to do that in the future. Sure. But to rewind a bit, just before we started recording, you were about to tell me, uh, or you told, mentioned to me that it's because of my colleague at Five Live, BBC Radio Five Live, Tony Livesey, it's down to him that Bank of Dave or the Burnley Savings and Loans exists in the first place. So how did that come up? How, did that, how does that happen? Tony Livesey is brilliant. <laughs> He's a very, very dear old friend. And without Tony, there wouldn't be a Bank of Dave. Okay. So that's a serious statement, isn't it? It is, isn't it? So go on, do tell. So Tony used to live next door but one to me for many, many years when we were kids. And um, he's a Burnley lad. He loves the football as I do. Mm. And uh, we're great friends. And years ago, I come up with this idea where I wanted to take a look at um, what was happening in the banking industry. Because... In late 2008, early 2009, my minibus customers, they used to come along to me for finance on the vehicle that they buy off me. Hmm. I'm the largest supplier of minibuses in the UK. So I sell a lot of buses. <laughs> and, you know, the lads that used to come along and buy these buses, they used to come along and say, right, Dave, I'll have that one and that one. No problem. We'll sign these uh, forms and finance forms and we'll send them off to the local bank or the financial institutions and I'll get paid and mm. you get your bus. Fantastic. And what happened, guys? Overnight, the banks just stopped lending. And I'm thinking, hang on a minute, have my customers not paid a gas bill? Have they forgot to pay the electric bill? Have they moved house? Have they done something wrong without telling me? Mm. You know, and you know what? They've done nothing wrong. The problem was at the door of the high street bank. They just stopped lending. Hmm. So I'm thinking, this is a problem. You know, either I stop selling buses, which would be a problem, or if I truly believe in these people and I know what they're buying, because I built the thing, hmm. and I know what they're going to do with it. You know, they take kids to school in the morning and they go and taking people to Blackpool at night and they yep. go out to the races and all the rest. I know what these, these guys are doing with these vehicles. If I truly believe in them, then why don't I lend them the money? They can buy the bus and we'll see how that works. So that's what I did. Hmm. I lent them the money. They then paid me that back. And I thought, this banking malarkey, it's not that difficult. <laughs> and that's what gave me the idea. Yep. Because then I started thinking, do you know what? There might be something in this. Yep. And Tony had heard about what I was doing. Right. And at the time, he was working at BBC Radio Lancashire there. And um, the football was doing really well. And, you know, me and Tony always liked to chat. So I popped along. He, he asked me to come along and do a bit of an interview. Yep. I told him about my idea. And he said, do you know what? He said, if you really genuinely, you know, want to do something about this, you need some protection. And there's no better protection than the media. Because hmm. you are going to go up against some people who aren't going to like your meddling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because, you know, these big bankers out there, they're not keen yeah. on Dave from Burnley coming along, <laughs> wanting to dip my bread in their gravy. <laughs> <laughs> Good phrase. I like that. So Tony said to me, he said, I've got an idea, Dave. I said, what's that? He said, I know this lady. She's called Katie Lander. And uh, she owns a TV production company called Fine Strike. He said, I think she might be interested in following you yeah. um, with a camera. And I said, well, I'm not sure about that. He said, have a think about it. So then me and Tony spoke again a couple of weeks later. And he said, do you want to meet Katie? And I said, go on then. <laughs> so he took me along. Mm -hmm. 
and we went to Preston to the Tickle Trout there and we met Katie Lander. Um, and I spoke to her for a while and told her about my idea mm. and she liked it and I was incredibly lucky, she liked me as well yep. and she thought that this thing could have legs <laughs> and that's how it all started and that's how me getting into the world of TV yep. and the media all started. So, <laughs> so it, it is all down to Tony Livesey. Does he still absolutely. get a, does he still get a cut? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I've 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 worked at uh, Burnley Savings and Loans for seven years. I've not took a penny in salary, <laughs> so he's absolutely entitled to my my share. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fifty percent. Yeah, fifty percent or no, still no. <laughs> you mentioned there as well the um, the minibus and van uh, sales business that you built up. So just tell just tell me about that because I'm sure lots of people know the story of how you started Bank of Dave because of the the TV program and and what's gone on with that, but probably not many people know about the other business. So how did that come about? Was because you left school at sixteen, is that right? So what did you do straight after you left school? So I left school at sixteen with absolutely nothing. You know, I didn't have the price of a chip butter. I had no qualifications whatsoever. Why was that, by the way? Were you just why did it not work out for you at school in terms of not necessarily work out, but you didn't end up with qualifications? Well, I mean, I think we should leave that one because that's a bigger story as well. I think we should leave that perhaps for for next time. Okay. But let's you remember that and ask me that all question right. again next time. Okay, I will. So let's let's go from being sixteen onwards. But by all, right. all means, come back because that'll blow your mind. All right. Part two. Yeah. Part two. Yeah. So sixteen, less school, absolutely useless. No qualifications. Teachers thought I'd be a bomb or a loser, or both. Um, and I just didn't like school. So, what what could we do? My dad got me a job on a building site as a builder's labourer. Um, and I didn't have the price of a chip butter. I remember going past Alum Road Chippy in Nelson and going in. And uh, I ordered a chip butter. <laughs> I put this in my book. I've wrote Sunday Times best-selling book, never wrote anything in my life, become a Sunday Times bestseller. I give the profit to charity. So there's a lot more in there as well. <laughs> you can have a quick snake through that later. I might even give you a coffee before you go. <laughs> okay. But anyway, back into the chippy. <laughs> so we're in the chippy, and I said to the lady behind the counter, can I have a chip butter? She said, no problem. So she's cooking the chips, and she's buttering the tea cake. We call it tea cake up here, but <laughs> on this podcast, people might think, that, is that is that a quick currency? No, it's not. It's a bap down <laughs> south, but it's a tea cake for the purposes of, of Lancashire. <laughs> so she's cooking the chips, and I put my hand in my pocket, and the chip butter were 37 pence. And I pulled out 34 pence. And I thought, I haven't got enough. And I thought, what am I going to do? And I remember it as if it were yesterday. And she's putting salt and vinegar. And I said, uh, I thought to myself, what can I do here? I thought I'd just take a, tell her to take a few chips off the top. She's not going to. She's put salt and vinegar on now. But I'll just say, I'm ever so sorry. I haven't got enough. Mm. You can take a few chips off the top and I'll give you 34 pence for it. Thinking she's not going to do that. Do you know what she did, Guy? I said to her, she said, okay. And she took half a dozen chips off the top. Mm. And I thought, she threw them in the bin. How mean's that? That is mean. She put it in paper and gave it to me. And I ended up the 34 pence. And I thought, I do not want to be poor. My mum and dad, my dad were a tackler. And he worked in the factory. What's a tackler, by the way? A tackler is somebody that fixes looms. Right. So they fix looms in the, in the old weaving sheds of the factories. My mum were a weaver in the factory. My grandfather were a rag and bone man. Right. So... Is this all in Nelson? This is all Nelson and Cone in Lancashire. Yeah. So, you know, when we go really far back, we find my grandparents were uh, on the rag and bone cart. So when people talk about rags to riches, hmm. we've got a genuine story. Yeah. But that's for next time. <laughs> okay. We, we are where we are with The list one. of topics for yeah. episode two is building up. I like it. So the chip butter story. Yeah. So I walked out the chipper. And I thought to myself, do you know what? If I ever see that chippy for sale, I'm going to buy it in the future. <laughs> I'm going to sack her <laughs> for being ever so mean. <laughs> and when I do drive past it, and I do occasionally, it's still there. And I look to see if the for sale sign's up. <laughs> <laughs> it's never been for sale no, since. because these days I can afford to buy the chippy. <laughs> 
But I went out there and I realised I do not want to be poor. Mm. But you've got to ask yourself, how do you turn nothing into something? If you've got no money, mm. how do you genuinely turn nothing into something? Because I was up and down ladders all day mm. with two buckets in my hand, one in each, up and down ladders, pebble dashing buildings and carrying cement up and proper graft. Mm. And I was being paid £27.50 a week, which back then was the YTS. Mm. So you've got to ask yourself, you know, uh, there'll be plenty of people listening to this that might have actually been on one of those YTSs. Yeah. But that was where we were. So I thought to myself, how can I genuinely make something out of nothing? Mm. And I thought, I love cars. I'm passionate about cars. But what can I do if you've got no money? And I come up with an idea. And I thought, what I'll do is I'll go around all the garages and I'll find a garage that's took some Partex changes in that might let me take one of the cheap ones away, do mm. it up, clean it, put it for sale, sell it, and bring back an arranged amount of money, and the difference will be mine. And I went round quite a few, and I found one that said yes, mm. on Bath Street in Nelson. <laughs> still there. <laughs> the guy ain't still there, but he was a lovely man, Brian. And I said to Brian, I said, will you let me take one away? And he said yes. So I took one away, it were an old Cavalier. He wanted 70 quid returning. Mm. And I'm going back when I was 17, so we're going back 30 years, three decades. Mm. And 70 quid was still a lot of money then. I took it away, I cleaned it up, I advertised it, I sold it. I advertised it for 100 quid and took 97 for it, not three quid off. <laughs> so we got the £27 profit, put it in my pocket, took the 70 quid up for Brian, said, can I do it again? <laughs> of course you can, you paid me. So I did it again and again and again, until I learned another really important lesson, was once I had enough 27 quids, I could then pay up front, which means I could negotiate a much better deal. Yeah. And that's what happened. I went from car to car to car, to the point where I had money to buy cars, and I went from one car to another, to another, to another, and I got myself a little garage. Just rented it. Where was that? In Nelson. In Nelson. Mm. And uh, that little garage did really well for me. I got half a dozen cars on there. Mm. Got, you know, did all cleaning, did all balloting, then got 10 cars and 12 <laughs> cars, and things were going really well. And I got a phone call that pretty much uh, started the change of my life, really, where on that phone call, the guy offered me a van, and it were a red Astromax van. I still remember it today. I've sold an awful lot since then. But, <laughs> you know, I still remember it today. And he says, Dave, I've got a van for you. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I don't want a van. We know cars. Because back then, vans were sold in farmyards and used to go wrong with, along with a pair of wellies on. Yeah. And you used to wade through a load of muck and you'd see it there in the distance and you'd sort of buy a van and go away and it was just dreadful. That, but, but that's how vans were sold back then. Mm. So I thought to myself, well, it's a van, something a bit different. And sometimes in life, you just don't know when opportunities are going to come along. So when they do, you've got to grab them with both hands. So I bought this Astromax van off this boy and uh, I paid him for it and I set to work on it, scrubbing it, cleaning it, full of cement in the back, it was a big job. But I, I did it, I made a nice job of it and I advertised it in the, uh, in the auto trader. And back then I had a phone about this big and for the benefit of the <laughs> listeners, it was about two foot long. <laughs> And uh, it was one of the Motorola 8000 founded Xs for people that, that remember them, but they was really, really Massive. big. But car dealers needed a mobile phone because we were never in the office, we were yeah. always out doing things. Sure. And if you ever had to ring one of these phones, it cost a fortune. <laughs> it cost like two or three quid for a minute. You know, back then it were a fortune, but you needed one. Mm. So I advertised it in the Auto Trader, and Thursday morning come along when the Auto Trader came out and it was published. And I got a phone call at six o'clock in the morning on this phone. I'm thinking, whoa, phone's ringing. Hello, hello. I'm ringing about the van. I'm thinking, the van. Oh, the van, yeah. No problem. Jumped into my jeans, down to the garage, opened it early, sold this guy the van. Fantastic. Then another phone call. I'm ringing about the van. The van. The van. <laughs> I'm ringing about... My word. One after the other after the other. The I'm demand thinking, was there. Vans. <laughs> Eureka. <laughs> Marvellous. <laughs> we want vans. They're mine cars. We want vans. So, that's what happened. Right. 
I started getting rid of all the cars and just going into vans. Van after van after van. Fantastic. Fill the garage full of vans. And back then, there were only a couple of pages of, of vans for sale. Right. You know, and I was a big part of, of that. You know, I had half, half a dozen vans for sale. And, you know, these farmyards and things that were selling them, they had one or two. So then I got 10 vans and 12 vans and 20 vans and onward and upward. And then I got a phone call that really changed my life forever. Yeah. Dave, I've no vans for you this week, but we've just took a part exchange in. So it's a bit unusual. It's a bus. <laughs> I said, a minibus? He said, yeah. It's a 17-seater minibus. I said, I don't want a bus. I thought to myself, scrubbing every seat and clay, what a job that's going to be. And it'll be like 35 foot long. <laughs> what am I going to do with this bus? <laughs> and you just don't know when opportunity comes knocking. Mm. Because let me tell you, when I said yes to that bus that day, and I put it in the auto trader, and the phone rang, I'm ringing about the bus, the minibus. Have you got another bus? I need a bigger bus. Have you got a smaller bus? Have you got... Three buses. I thought, mini buses. <laughs> Eureka proper. <laughs> because, let me tell you, that was one of my most important decisions of my entire life. Because today, I'm the largest supplier of mini buses in the country. Why so, was it at that point then, do you think, that it was, there was such this hole for mini buses, if you like, that you were there to fill? Well, I just think back then that... I'd found something that nobody else was doing. Yeah. And they wasn't advertising them. And, and if, if they had a bus back then, they'd sell it to the pal or the friend or the, they'd, they'd leave it to Rata. They just, there wasn't a market back yeah. then for them. Like now, there's a massive market and I'm very lucky to be part of that. Mm. And, and we sell buses, not just in the UK, abroad as well. You know, the, 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 the furthest I've ever sold a bus it's to the bottom of Everest, to the Gurkhas, and if you type in Dave Fishwick Gurkhas minibus sales Everest, mm. it'll come up there in the in the Telegraph, and you can read all about it. Mm. You know, we we built some special buses for the Gurkhas that had to be sent out to to the bottom of Everest. So, you know, my buses have gone an awful long way. But back then, mm. there wasn't the um, visibility of somebody that was selling buses, and I just hit on summer, and I was very very lucky, mm. and I ate it as hard as I could at the time. And uh, we, we really took the market as far as we could. And then that takes us screaming up towards 2008, 2009, yeah. after many years of selling buses, to what we were talking about earlier, yeah. about my customers were coming along to me, wanting bus finance, and suddenly it just stopped overnight, and the big banks just stopped lending mm. to real people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's where this whole Bank of Dave uh, journey began. Now, I know you said that we wouldn't talk about, we could leave school till later, but obviously you were entrepreneurial pretty early on with your buying and selling the cars. Were you always thinking that when you were younger, like that kind of thing? Were you always, did you always have, were you entrepreneurial before that, when you were at school? For me to answer that question properly, <laughs> that's for another day. Okay. It really is. And I was, I was, um, I was driven at school um, for lots of reasons. And, um, you know, it wasn't the happiest time at school. Okay. But it certainly is for another day. Okay. But I promise you. All right. I'll, um, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, I, I've, I've told the story many, many times. And okay. it's, uh, it's written in my book. Okay. Um, and it's it's in detail in there, and it's and it's it's a nice story. Okay. Um, and it has an happy ending. So. Um, Good. But we'll we need a lot of time to tell that one. All right. We'll to do that, We'll do it justice. To tell it properly, we need to go right all back right. to when I was seven or eight year old and move all the way up. Okay. And we'll do that. Okay. I look forward to that. Now, what about the football club? Because you've been heavily involved in Burnley Football Club, haven't you, over the years? So, how did that relationship start? Well, I suppose before I got to the football club. If I just tell you ever so slightly what, what happened after the, the sort of 2008-2009 uh, incident with, um, with the financial industry mm. sort of come to its knees. What I wanted to do is, I wanted to, to not just help my minibus customers, I actually wanted to help other people as well. Because I thought, rather than just be able to help the people buying buses, I could perhaps help small businesses as well. Mm. So I thought, right, okay. You want to open the bank? Where do you go? Where all the bankers are. 
Got to be careful with that word as well. <laughs> London. So I set off to London and I met a guy there. And uh, I went to meet the head of the think tank of... Um, give me a second and I'll just find his name. You can always cut that little bit. Mm -hmm. Let me find his name because it's important that we, uh, we find his name. That's it. So after the 2008, late 2009 crisis, I thought to myself, how can I help real people, not just minibus people? I thought, I'd like to open a small bank. How do I go about doing that? I need to find all the bankers. So I headed to London. That's where they all are. Mm. And I went to meet somebody that was head of a think tank down there, the banking think tank, and he was head of all the bankers, a guy called Andrew Hilton. And Andrew invited me down, and I went in to see him. I said, I want to open a small bank. And he said, where are you from? I said, Burnley. That put him off for starters. <laughs> and he said, uh, what did your parents do? And I thought, what's that got to do with anything? Hmm. And I said, well, my dad worked in the factory, and he had a second job on the farm. So he worked in a factory at morning and worked on a farm in the afternoon as a hmm. labourer. I said, my mum was a weaver. Um... I said, but what's that got to do with anything? And he said, well, did you go to Oxford or Cambridge? <laughs> and I'm not lying. He did said he genuinely this, say he'd that? said it. And there's some of this in the, in the Bank of Dave programme, so mm. you can actually yeah. go and take a look at this if people want to get it's a little bit It's pretty amazing, isn't it, that, that so recently, I mean, obviously probably still now, is still a huge part of what goes on. Exactly. And it's there in the Bank of Dave programmes. It's there in the book. Mm. And you can go into more detail for it. But he said to me, did you go to Oxford or Cambridge, Dave? And I said, let me tell you about people in Burnley. We don't get those sorts of opportunities. We're lucky to go to school in the first place. Mm. And he said, no, 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 no. You've not got the correct qualifications. You've not got the correct parents. You're not from the correct place. Your, your parents didn't have the right job. And I said, whoa, wait right there. I said, my mum and dad worked every day of their lives. My dad had two jobs and put a roof over our head and put food in our belly, so don't you tell me I didn't have the correct parents. Mm. And I thought, I'm going before I end up punching him. <laughs> and I thought, that's it, I'm definitely gonna do this now. Because as an entrepreneur, you've got to learn to turn no's into yeses. Mm. That's your job. So I thought, I'm gonna do it anyway. So I started looking into it. I started putting the team together. I started getting some premises. I started speaking to regulators. I started talking to lawyers and solicitors and that's how it all got going hmm. because I was determined to prove the ladder from Burnley who hmm. sells buses. If I can do it, then anybody can. So it was almost like a, like a red rag to you really. It was, it was. To it say, was. you're gonna prove this guy wrong and, and, and those like him. And in any business and for any entrepreneurs that's listening to this, you know, Grab a piece of paper and a pen because I'm going <laughs> to give you some, or should I say, my four rules that you need to stick okay. to. So if you've got your pen, rule number one, never lose money. That's really important. Rule number two is never forget rule number one. <laughs> and keep writing because rule number three is never give up. And rule number four and if you don't take anything else from this <laughs> podcast today from me, please take this. Because rule number four is never, ever give up. Because everybody will always tell you that's impossible. Mm. You can't do this or you can't do that. And sometimes you've just got to go do it and apologise after. Because that's easier than getting permission in the first place. You've got to plough on and just go for it, basically. Keep, that's the keep going. Surround yeah. yourself with good people. Yeah. Treat them how you want to be treated. If the shoe was on the other foot, pay them good wages and look after them. Because I saw this little bank as, do you know what? If I can make a penny after the overheads are paid, then I'm thinking, I'm two billion and one pound better off than the RBS. Because <laughs> they're losing two billion a year. <laughs> yeah. So that's all I have to do is make a penny after the overheads are paid. <laughs> So that's what I did. And I got this building together and I got all the equipment together and I started putting a team together and I ended up meeting one of the top guys from the HSBC and he come along, one of the area managers, and he come on to have a look at what I was doing and I said to him, how much does it cost you to refurb you know, a, a, a bank? How, how much? And he said, round about a million quid, Dave. 
I think a million quid to refurb. I thought, I've put a cash machine there, I've, I've, I've put a counter there, I've got a computer system, and I've got a pad and a piece of paper. And I'm thinking to myself, well, my pad and my pen are not going to crash. <laughs> you know, so whatever I put on the computer, as long as we double it up on pad and paper, yeah. and we put that in the safe in a, in a box that doesn't set on fire, <laughs> then it's never going to crash. <laughs> and I spent... I mean, I'm going back years and years, but I spent mm. about nine and a half grand renovating this thing. And I'm thinking, I'm already £991,000 better off than the HSBC and I haven't even opened the door. <laughs> Joking apart, that's yeah. how it all started. You know, we're in a completely different operation yeah. now. Yeah. But that's how it started. It started with the will. And I think... If you were trying to create something, and what I was trying to create is somewhere for hardworking people and pensioners to have somewhere to put their hard-earned savings and get a really good rate of interest. I then want to lend that money to people and businesses who perhaps cannot borrow from the high street bank through no problems of their own. They've just maybe had a problem in the past or the banks just don't want to lend them anything because they haven't got you know, the assets to be able to give them double back mm. and for people that maybe just had a little bit of a problem in the past and then I'd take that profit and I'd build the business up and with some of that profit I was going to give it to charity which is what I did and I thought if that's so terrible that you know that puts me on a, a sort of equal footing with Fred the Shred that's lost <laughs> billions of pounds of people's money mm. but all I'm trying to do is help businesses get funding, help pensioners get a really good rate of interest and then try and build something really ethical and moral and give some of it away to charity. Mm. You know, if they're going to put me in prison for that, <laughs> then it'd be like free Deirdre, wouldn't it, on Coronation <laughs> Street? Get Dave out, free, free Dave. Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I was really interested in one thing that you said actually just before then was that one of the key things for entrepreneurs is, I know you have the four rules, but also turning no's into yeses. Is that something that you've, a bit, has that been a recurring theme for you over the years? To be honest, Guy, that were recurring yesterday. Right. You know, yesterday I were turning no's into yeses. I continue to do that on a weekly basis. You know, I practice what I preach. Hmm. And on some of the other podcasts that we do together, perhaps <laughs> we can look at some of the issues and things that maybe some of your listeners have, and we can take a look at that and just see if we can, you know, put some sort of light on it. When was What, what was the one you did yesterday then? It's the one I did yesterday was turning no's into yeses that will become <laughs> public in, in, in time to come. Okay. But I spend my life, you know, lifting and pushing and shoving. The drive and determination. You see, if you've got drive, determination, honest, ethics and morals, then you're unstoppable. Hmm. It really is. You've got to have self-belief above anything else. If you want to be a an entrepreneur, you've got to believe in yourself because if you don't believe in yourself, then nobody else will. Mm. So the first and foremost is self-belief. Then determination and drive. Some common sense helps. And the problem with common sense, it's not that common anymore, but that helps as well. Mm. But you stick to them rules that I told you earlier, plus self-belief, drive, determination, common sense, ethics and morals, turn them no's into yeses, you're going to be a millionaire. <laughs> I can see it coming. You're writing stuff down. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting, though, that idea of self-belief, isn't it? Because obviously, you know, lots of people are trying to do their own thing, but it's not always easy, is it, to, to have that belief? And it is people give up or people think, oh, I'm never going to do it. And it's, it, cannot, it, it's, it can be difficult to maintain that self-belief. So when the times get tough, how did you, main, you know, keep that self-belief when maybe things weren't going as right as they well, could have been? Throughout my life, really, it's not just in the last few weeks, few months, few years. It's hmm. throughout my life, and it will continue to. You know, um, I, you know, I, I grew up in a house that was so bad they knocked it down. You know, it's we were poorer than church mice, and you know, like I said, my grandfather, his dad, had a, started a business on, on the rag and bones. You know, so it, it, I truly know what it's like to have nothing. Hmm. And I know what it's like to have something. But money isn't, isn't the driver of me at all. You know, the problem with, with wealthy people is once they've climbed up the tree, they're busy pulling the ladder up mm. behind them. They're frightened to death of anybody having anything. And you think, 
once you've got enough for a nice house, food in your belly, your, your kids are clothed and looked after, and you've got good health, then it really isn't a great deal of difference in, in my life to anybody else's life. Because, you know, I've got a five-year-old mattress upstairs. You've probably got a new one than me, so that's eight <laughs> hours a night. You're already in front of me. You know, I, I have a flat-screen telly that I watch sport on that's a few years old. You've probably got a flat-screen telly that you watch sport on. Hmm. We're both on Google. I like McDonald's. I like the chippy. I like steak pudding, chips, peas and gravy. That's my favourite. On a Friday, I on saw Friday. on your Twitter account. Exactly. Yeah, every Friday. It's my favourite. Yeah. You know, so I have a chippy tea. I sleep on an old mattress. I watch a flat screen telly. You know, there's very few times in the day when my life is any different to anybody else's. Mm. And I like it that way. Mm. Now, if you look out that window, there's a helicopter sat outside. Yeah. You know, so that my life is slightly different at times. <laughs> but I use that to go around the country to speed business up. Mm. And when I get really, really fed up, I go and sit on a cloud. And that's what I do. And I think to myself, I, I hover the machine above the cloud, I take the speed right down, so we're literally putting the skids onto the cloud, and I go and sit on a cloud. And that's how I really do my thinking. And you fly that yourself, do I you? I do, yes. Is that what, what drove you to get that, do you think? The, the idea of why do you enjoy the helicopter so much? Flying it yourself, I guess. Well, I suppose that's part of things that people don't really... Because I've been on telly lots of times and done lots of things, but not always um, do I talk about that side of things. Um... I mean, I fly planes and helicopters. I've got a, a license for both. I've been flying for 20 years. I'm a very experienced pilot. Um, it was just something that I really wanted to do when I had the money to do it. And it just speeds business up enormously. You mm. know, I can be all over the country looking at vehicles that are for sale or vehicles that we're selling to somebody. Or, you know, I also have a property business where we buy and sell property. I have an investment company. Um, and it, it just means I can meet people much faster. And rather than needing a pilot, I fly it myself. <laughs> so it means I can go and come back as and when I need to. Makes sense. But that's it's a very small part of my week is the flying. And mm. apart from that, there's pretty much nothing else I do that, that you don't or anybody else doesn't do. So, you know, you, if, if, you, if you drive's just money, that's probably not the right reason for mm. it. You know, you, you've got to want to do it for the right reasons. As you mentioned, you have your favourite meal is a chippy tea. Yeah. And do you have? I saw on Twitter you uh, often have it on a Friday. Is, do you always go to the same chippy, or is it a different one? It's a different one, and I definitely don't go to that one on Allen Road. <laughs> Only drive past looking for the for sale sign. Which is it? This, I mean, is it the same chippy you go to every Friday, or do you go? Do no, you vary I, it? I go. It depends where I am in the country. Of course. You know, it just depends where I am. I, I do a lot of travelling. Um, you know, I have a. a you know, I've just finished. A, a series for Channel 4 that's just been on called Get Rich Quick. Yeah. And it was all about me helping businesses get going. That was a seven-part series. It was the biggest one I've ever done, and it took me seven and a half months to make. So, you know, I need to travel a lot because I go to different places in the country helping different people, mm. making different programs, writing, um, looking after Burnley Savings and Loans, looking after the, 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 the other businesses that I've got. I've got some fantastic managers that I just couldn't do it without. I was going to say, how is that, you know, because obviously, you know, you built up the, the van and the, the bus business yourself. How is it leaving that to the people, to, for pe other people to run it while you do the TV stuff? Is that easy to do or is it difficult to, to leave it? Well, to be honest, I'd, I'd left... I'd left it in, in, in very safe hands lots of times, you know, if I've had to go away or do things or deal with other businesses. Hmm. And it's back to what I said earlier. Treat people how you'd want to be treated. Find good people, surround yourself with them, pay them good wages and look after them. And just treat them how you'd want to be treated if the mm. shoe was on the other foot. Nobody will ever leave. Mm. I've got some fantastic managers. I mean, Mark's been with me decades. Um, and Mark does a fantastic job and he does slightly better when I'm not there, which is really annoying. <laughs> <laughs> Outperforms you. Yeah, which is really annoying and he does it on purpose. <laughs> so but, do you have to try and beat him when you get back? Or? No, I, do you know what? There's certain customers I've got that still want to deal with me, you know, <laughs> to come and buy a bus. They've dealt with me for, for 30 years nearly mm. and um, they want to deal with me and I'm happy to go deal with them. You know, I'll, I'll jump in and I'm happy. Mm. And at some point, Guy, and this is important, at some point, the Bank of Dave will become fully authorised, fully regulated as a, a brand new high street bank. And once that's all took care of and all the paperwork and all the regulation and all the funding and everything's in place, I need to go back and sell a few buses. Hmm. 
you know, and that's where I'm from and that's where I belong. You know, and I will go back. I will keep my eye on the Bank of Dave, and I know that it will be run by some of the most capable people, not just in this country, in the world. Mm. You know, we'll have a digital presence, and, you know, there'll be lots of people that want to. Yeah, and what is the us. vision? Is it more, is it a nationwide network of branches, or, or what? First how, how would it work, first ideally? And, first and foremost, the Bank of Dave HQ will be in Burnley, uh, centre of the universe. <laughs> Very near to a chippy, because that's important too. <laughs> yeah. And you see, one of my competitors is Metro Bank. Mm. You know, wonderful operation, don't get me wrong, you know, well run. But it's owned by an American guy who flies over in his private jet, you know, every month with his Yorkshire Terrier under his arm. And he's probably a lovely man. And he goes, walks in and then walks back out and flies back to Los Angeles in his private jet. Hmm. Now, the difference between me and him is, is I pedal down to mine. Burnley Savings alone's on my bike, you know, and he flies in in his private jet. And, 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 and you know, we'd look at things differently. Hmm. Now, I want to be the very first new high street bank for 120 years in Britain, owned by a British person. The Metro Bank classes their self as one of the first high street yeah. banks, but the problem is it's, it's um, owned by the Americans. So um, I truly think that this will be the first new British high street bank for okay. over 120 years. Hmm. And is that the, I mean, is it a nationwide network of branches? Is that the goal or, or what is it? You know, what, what is the ideal scenario for you? Well, first and foremost, it will be Burnley. But yeah. we already operate around the UK. So yeah. we need to give loans out all over the UK now. So first and foremost, if somebody wants a, to buy a car and they want a car loan in London or Scotland or wherever, or in um, uh, wherever in the country, Cornwall, wherever. Yeah. If you want a car loan, we'll, we'll, we'll take a look at that. Okay. If you want a personal loan, we'll take a look at that. You know, wherever you are, you know, we, we, we sort of, we look at so I suppose the businesses. branch network is less important these days. It isn't really it? is because yeah. it's more digital now. Yeah. And when we become the Bank of Dave, we will be digital as well. You know, I've got a, an infrastructure that's going in and an IT system that's going in, which is what some of the fundraisers for, uh, that could be operational within 48 countries around the world with a flick of a switch. Now, I started with one bus. <laughs> now I'm the largest supplier of minibuses in the UK. Hmm. I'm starting with one bank. Let's see where that goes. <laughs> yeah, I see what you mean. Now just about, back to the, the TV stuff for a minute. You mentioned the, the uh, How to Get Rich Quick, with the Channel 4 series. What do you enjoy about doing the, the TV stuff most? What is the appeal to you of, of getting involved in programmes like that? Well, I like making television that makes a difference to people's lives. And I get offered a lot of different programs, and I turned 99.9% .9 of them down. Um, I've been offered some of the biggest programs on the planet, um, and I'm just just not interested, hmm. you know. Um, I don't want to go in the jungle. I don't <laughs> want to be dancing. I don't want to go down ski slope, you know. You know if, my view were is when I when I agreed to do Get Rich Quick, mm. I had a look at what that, that entailed, and we was going to take people who have never run a business before in their life and get them up and running and into profit within six or eight weeks. Now, that to me made sense. I thought I can make a difference there. Hmm. So I agreed to do the series. The one before that, I did the guide to spending money. And then the one before that, I made a series called the guide to saving money hmm. with a, a lovely lady called Kate Quilton, where we went around the world looking at what things cost and what uh, we could get better price. And I thought, that'll make a difference. Hmm. So I agreed to do that. Um, but if I take you right back to the beginning, so I did Banker Dave 1, 2, and 3. I then made uh, a series for CNBC in America, which was alongside Banker Dave, which was the same title, hmm. where we filmed a lot of it in America. Um, so we've got a fantastic following out in America. Hmm. I then made a program called Fighting the Fat Cats, um, which uh, I was very lucky. I won another BAFTA for that. So mm -hmm. I've been incredibly lucky with the TV stuff. I've been nominated for three BAFTAs. I've won two of them. Mm -hmm. I've got a Royal Television Society Award, and I've got six Broadcast and TV Awards. Um, the, th the reason I didn't win the third BAFTA, <laughs> I've never spoke about this before, but I'm going to. <laughs> okay. The reason I didn't win the third BAFTA is I was sat 
next to the gentleman that won, or very nearly next to him. <laughs> I was at the uh, BAFTAs and there was um, there was an announcing who'd won, and um, I was up against uh, a lovely man called Paul Hollywood um, <laughs> from the Great British Bake Off yeah. when it was on the BBC, and um, it was either me or him, <laughs> and he won. So there's a moral there. Rather than taking on the world's banks and finances and governments <laughs> and things all over the world, I should have learned to make cupcakes and I would have won. That's where I'm going wrong. <laughs> Is there a moral in that story somewhere? Somewhere, somewhere. <laughs> Stick to what you're good at. <laughs> so are there more TV programmes on the horizon? Well, I did. After the, the Bank of Daves and the American TV stuff, I then made a programme called The Lone Ranger, which uh, won uh, won some awards as well, where we looked at payday loans. I actually got Wonga capped by the government, which mm. then helped to shut it down, because I felt it preyed on the poor and vulnerable. Uh, they're the powerful documentaries I like to make. I then made a programme about job centres, where I raised £2 million for disadvantaged kids uh, to open pop-up job centres across the UK to help kids get into work i then went from that uh into a property show called can property pay your wages and then i went into all sorts of other documentaries and things so and i've made you know quite a few things for europe and abroad and america um i've done some stuff for warner brothers um so i get offered all the time mm. it's just about trying to place me time in the right place as it's needed yeah um like i'm i'm probably I'm going to be looking, I mean, I, I'm going to London tomorrow to meet a big TV agent there that wants to chat to me, mm. and there'll be something in that conversation there. So, you know, watch this space. We'll, yeah. There'll be something, but I've just got to have enough time. <laughs> you know, hence the helicopter. Well, I guess, yeah. <laughs> so will you be going by helicopter Yeah, tomorrow? Yeah, there and back as fast as I can. Where do you land in London, just out of interest? Uh, well, you can usually land in Denham. Uh, right. Just outside London, a friend of mine owns a little airfield there, um, right. and he has a, a place there that he is he, he, fantastic. He just lets me put it there, and I can jump in a taxi or borrow a car and right. just straight into London there. But that is... I mean, if you're really rich, <laughs> like the really powerful bankers, you can land. There's actually a heliport right. in London called Battersea Heliport, and I'm, I think it's approximately £350 to land right. plus £300 plus per hour for the helicopter to sit there <laughs> so I'm better off just sticking it in denim and getting a taxi in for a tenner <laughs> How long does it take to fly down? Um, about anything from about an hour and 30 minutes it's, oh, right. it's point to point yeah. because it's outside and I'm literally there but I mean I, I don't go to London that often in it because I can almost do the trip on the train where I can actually work while mm. I'm going down Yeah, but if I like the, the 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 best use of a helicopter is when you need to go to say the Isle of Man from here, mm. you know. So from Lancashire to the Isle of Man, you can probably do that in 45, 50 minutes, mm. where you'd, you'd have to go and get a ferry and all the rest of it normally. Or if I need to go sort of over to the east, Hull, that side of things, it's really really dreadful traffic. You know, that's fast. Or if I need to go to South Wales or something. I used to have a coach builder I used to deal with a lot in South Wales that did a lot of work for me. So that mm. was fantastic to be able to fly there and Bristol and things. Nice. You mentioned uh, that you often in a helicopter you'll sit on top of a cloud. Is that where you go when you just want to sort of clear your mind of all these different things that are going on and you just want a moment of peace? Is that is that what it's all about? Well, I'll tell you what, do. The next time you come, <laughs> I will take you to the only ice cream parlour with a helipad anywhere in the world. And it's very, very close to here. <laughs> a friend of mine owns it. And we use the helipad there. It's only the other side of Pendle Hill. It's called the Welsh Springs. Right. And it's a lovely Mexican restaurant, but it's also an ice cream parlour. And he's built a helipad there. And he's built it for two reasons. The first reason is the air ambulance had nowhere to land in that area. And mm. they tried to land about 18 months ago and they just couldn't get down. Um, there's video footage of it trying to land in his car park. It's, it's on a hill and it just couldn't get down. And there's when people have problems up Pendle Hill, which they do on a regular basis, they just couldn't get to them. Mm. So he thought, well, I can do something about that. So what I've said to him, I said, look, build a helipad. If people want to come and have an ice cream or whatever, then that's fantastic. I said to him, but my helicopter is available for anybody in Lancashire that gets stuck up Pendle Hill okay. or up there when it goes bad. There's a lot of paragliders. There's been a couple of people uh, 
died last year mm. and they couldn't get to them on time and lots of other issues and I just said look if I'm here just ring me I'll jump up on to the hill I'll pick up whoever's got a problem or if they've lost kids there was there was going to be one a couple of days ago where the the school teacher called down to Wellspring saying he's lost one of the kids mm. and um um Zach, who owns the place, said, said, you know, Dave will go get him. And he got in touch with me. I said, yes, I'll go get him. And just before I uh, sorted that, he, the, the child got found. So hmm. there is a very serious side to it. You know, it's, yep. don't get me wrong, helipad, you know, with the ice cream's fantastic fun. But there is a very, very serious point to have that thing there because hmm. it's the only one in the area. And I'm a lot quicker and a lot nearer than the air ambulance. So I'll pick kids up and I'll take them directly to, to Blackburn hospital or whatever mm. so um and it's there free of charge for anybody that needs help that's up in the mountains and hills that, that need getting you know need yeah. fixing that need rescuing i'll go do it for free well, that's a good that's a great thing to do that's a really nice idea uh, and very important i guess because it, it does it is quite dangerous out there isn't it you know it does happen more frequently than you yeah, think I, kids and people winter, go get stranded don't they you know the um, the mountain rescue and things are up there in the winter half a dozen to to, to ten to ten times every winter hmm. um unfortunately the police don't have um um an atv vehicle anymore because they'd been up to to the wellsprings to see if zach had one because they needed to get up the hill to pick somebody up and he um, he didn't have one and hmm. that was the reason why we um we built the helipad um, it's only a piece of grass that's flattened out. It sounds very grand, but <laughs> yeah. it's not. It's just somewhere flat to land. Yeah. Um, and it's available for me to either fly up and pick people up and take them directly to the ambulance or fly up and take them to um, to Blackburn Hospital, which is literally three minutes flight from here, which would be yeah. a good 20 minutes, half an hour in, a, in an ambulance. So yeah. hopefully we'll, we'll save somebody's life in, uh, in the coming years. Yeah. Great. Um, I'd like to finish the interview today by asking you three questions, which I ask everybody um, who comes on. So the first one is, do you have uh, like a routine that you always follow that you um, do, that you feel that you have to do or that you've got into the habit of doing every day before you get, you know, so you're ready to go for the, for the day ahead? That's a good question. Um, a routine. I do, like this morning... Um, I train with Neil, um, a guy that's built like a marine. Um, <laughs> what sort of training is it? Um, he's, he's, he's very much weights and running and biking and, you know, he he rings the bell until I get out of bed early morning. <laughs> and, what time uh, is that? Oh, it could be anything from half six, seven o'clock, you know, he'll, he'll, if I'm not So he up, just rocks up? He'll just, oh, he just, he just, I tell him not to come again and he comes anyway, <laughs> you know, so that's three times a week. <laughs> right. Um, and... I'm not the thinnest person in the world by any stretch of the imagination, but I know with the pressure and stress that I'm under, um, it's um, it really is something that's necessary. Mm. So that's something that I, I very much routinely do. Yeah. Uh, any other things that you do every day? Or? Um, every day is different for me. I, yeah. it's, I live a really strange life, <laughs> you know, um, like one... Like yesterday, I was in the Financial Times, I was in the Daily Mail, I was in the Independent. Yeah. You know, one minute I'm doing interviews with some of the biggest newspapers in the world. One minute I might be in America filming something. The next minute I might be, you know, meeting a Nobel Prize winner. You know, I'm, I'm very lucky. I've got a fantastic life. Hmm. And and that's why I think you know, that some of the things that I've learned along the way that perhaps I can share them with other people, which I think is important. Hmm. Second question then. Um, when you look back over everything that you've done in terms of, I mean, this could be anything, it could be big or small, uh, but it can be, I guess, about the things that we've talked about, about the, the businesses and various other things you've done. But what's the thing that you're sort of most proud of over the years that when you look back, you think, yeah, that is what I'm most proud of that Certainly I've achieved? Burnley Savings Allowance is the thing I'm most proud of. You mm. know, we've lent £20 million to thousands of people who couldn't borrow from, from the High Street Bank. Um, and we've helped an awful lot of pensioners and hardworking people get a good rate of interest off us. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's the thing I'm most proud of, and, and that's the thing that I will continue to work with and get us across that regulatory line uh, to become fully authorised and fully regulated. I don't put a time on it, you know, hmm. if it's six months or 12 months or 18 months. You know, I'm, to be honest, we, we do every day we're doing what we set out to do. So we will get there, hmm. and you've just got to work incredibly hard, and we're very focused. 
Final question then. And this could be music, it could be something on TV, it could be a book that you're reading, but what are you enjoying or consuming right now that you're really, really enjoying? My hero, if you will, is a guy called Warren Buffett, Hmm. who's an American investor, who's a very decent man, he's give all his money away, um, or he's about to give all his money away. And I'm I'm a big believer in that. You know, I've, mm. I've got two kids. I've got a boy and a girl who are growing up. My son's learning to be a, a, a doctor of psychiatry and psychology. And my daughter works with animals. And, uh, you know, I'm not a big believer in leaving vast wealth behind for, for the next 20 generations of fishwicks so they don't have to get out of bed in the morning. <laughs> you know, my, my view would be is I will leave some just in case and a little bit spare, but then... I'm a big believer in giving it back to where it come from, back into the society. Um, and Warren's done that, and I'm just reading about that at the moment and just reading about how he did it. Now, in the meantime, over the next, hopefully, I'm on, I'm on in my 40s, so hopefully mm. I've got, you know, 20, 30 years left if I'm lucky. Um, and in the meantime, I can I can build that open, hopefully do good things with it and build the bank up and lots of other things. And then... I'll find a way of, of it working its way back into society. And is that a specific Warren Buffett book, or is that just articles that you're reading at the moment about what he's doing? Well, I like I like putting YouTube on mm. and having it running through my Bluetooth while I'm uh, driving, so oh, I can okay. listen. You know, so it lists, I can listen through the speakers. Um, so at the moment, it's sort of different books and audio books and things that he's wrote in the past or other Got people you. have wrote. And um, so that's the thing I'm sort of listening to at the moment: how he decided and how he how he worked his way through to decide to, to and how to go about giving the money back to society where it'll make the best difference. Dave, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much. Anytime. Look pleasure. forward to episode two. Looking forward to it already, guy.